and welcome to Lunching with Lawyers. Lunching with Lawyers is brought to you by LorettaCrete.com. In this series of podcasts, Loretta explores the world of law graduates. She talks to lawyers, recent law graduates and budding lawyers seeking alternatives or exploring how to get the jobs that they want. This podcast series is also for those thinking about pivoting or just wanting to do something different. So join Loretta for discussions with lawyers and law graduates about their careers and the paths they took to get to where they are. Let's explore what success in their profession looks like to them. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Lunching with Lawyers. Today, oh, I think I've got a little puppy in the background whose name's Tilly. So Tilly's also joining us, but but the lovely lawyer that I'm speaking to is Rabina May. Rabina has a, a degrees in IT and law. Unusually, she has integrated her IT and law degree in many different roles. She has a very good understanding of how law firms work and how technology can support them. She's worked as a project manager, IT manager, knowledge director, legal firm practice manager, technical consultant and software developer. She hardly looks old enough to have done all those roles. She regularly writes and presents on topics associated with the intersection of IT and the law. Her first job was, whilst she was at university, was at Cooper Grace Ward, where I'm assuming she met Susan Bryant, who is helping me to interview Rabina. Um, welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you, Lorraine. <laughs> so is that how you met at Cooper Grace Ward? It, it is. is. Was it Hunt and Hunt still when you were... Yes, it was. Yes. 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 So it was Hunt and Hunt Lawyers, and mm-hmm. I would have been a very fresh-faced young What year programmer. did you start there? 2000, I think. Hmm. Well, I started back, back there in 2000. Yes, so it must have been quite... What month did you start? Oh, I can't remember back that far, Susan. I, I only happen to know because I started in June 2000, which I just had my 20-year anniversary oh. So at Cooper Grace Ward. So I do know the month, but... I don't actually recollect meeting you at all. You were just there. <laughs> you were just there. I was just there. I may have started at the beginning of the yeah, year. Yeah, I, I think. think you were already there mm, when yeah. I started. And we, which I suppose was a little bit unusual at the time, the precedence team was always sort of part of it, and the IT team always worked closely together at Hunt sort and Hunt and then Cooper Grace Ward. But it was, so, it was so long ago that precedents were almost not part of IT. One of my jobs... Um, was to get the precedents. Uh, they still had them in paper folders, and if one, someone wanted to dictate, they would go and get the folder of precedents. And if precedents were updated, someone would photocopy and put them in the folder. So one of the first things I did was to get rid of the folder system and get them online so people could use them. Ah. So, yeah. So, is that how you talk, started talking to Rabina? Like, how did you, like, what drew you to each other? Because you've known each oh. other now for many years. Yeah, we were, so the support services mm. teams, I guess, always did mm. work quite closely yes. together. And then there was um, another precedence, who was sort of a precedent slash IT person in Gale, yes. who developed the precedence. Mm. Um, and she was sort of the bridge, I guess, between yeah. IT 
and precedence. And while you were doing what you just described, the Banking and Finance Division in Hunt and Hunt Lawyers Keeper Grace Ward was perhaps a little more ahead of its time mm. in terms of that's when we were automating a lot of precedents yep. and putting mm. them into databases and... Uh, yeah, I think I think potentially Cooper Grace Ward was a bit ahead of its time in that mm. regard. I mean, even having a programmer on staff yes. twenty years yes. ago, and I replaced another programmer. So did they, you? yeah, who did you replace? Lynette. Oh yes, okay. Yeah. So we all worked quite closely mm. together, and I think in terms, and Sue and I have always got on really mm. well. And I think part of the reason for that is I don't think I've ever seen myself as one of those geeky tech people am I allowed to say that <laughs> you don't know that's for sure absolutely <laughs> so and I think that allowed a bit more of a common language in terms yeah. of what we were both trying to achieve yeah. in terms of making the mm. lawyers lives easier and also communicating to them that what we were trying to do was make their lives easier not take away from their jobs not yes. make their lives harder no, no. not give them more work but to actually mm. enable yes. them to achieve yeah. more mm-hmm. of the more complicated legal work that I'm sure their fine minds right. wanted to do yes. <laughs> actually that, that is an issue because often when lawyers see new programs or new things to do they just think this is just going to create more work for me oh, I'm, oh absolutely i'm too absolutely. busy mm-hmm. that is there yeah. i'm too busy i don't have time for this i don't have time to learn this i'm perfectly happy doing things the way i've always done it's mm. a very i would i have some thing. sympathy <laughs> oh i think absolutely. we do understand because we the understand. billable hour is in front of you and yes. that's what mm. you need to achieve in yeah. your day it's not mm. really probably till recently that law firms have thought about well maybe we should put some targets around precedent yeah, development or yeah. innovation mm. development Absolutely. so you know even though while you were reminded of the cartoon of the um the caveman rolling the square wheel up the hill and someone saying hey i've got a round wheel why don't we figure this out and the cave, no i'm too busy i'm too busy I'm with too busy. my square I'm wheel I'm halfway up. Don't interrupt me. Yeah, but i think we could both definitely empathize and understand mm. where lawyers oh, come from absolutely. when with that attitude yeah yeah which actually brings me to this question because uh, well no one else would know that that you didn't start as a lawyer at group no, no, so mm. I came in as a programmer um, and I was I had just finished my IT degree mm. and I was doing a dual law IT degree. So I think it's a little bit different now how you do dual degrees, mm. but at that time what you did is you did your first degree and rather than doing electives for that first degree, they kind of went into your second degree. Mm. So you ended up with qualifying for one degree and then qualifying for the next degree rather than having them both at the same time i did the same yeah Mm. so i had this lovely shiny it degree that i could use and i had a law degree that i was still working on so i completed the law degree while i was a programmer still at Hunt and Hunt. It was probably Cooper Grace Ward by that stage did you intend to work as a lawyer when you started a law degree yeah uh i don't know I thought you said at some stage you wanted to be a journalist. <laughs> I did. I did. Well, I did want to be a journalist. And uh, when I was on this path, I think it was around the time of the Gulf War, so it was mm-hmm. that age, and I was looking at these foreign correspondents thinking that looked like quite a glamorous, amazing job. And my parents didn't think it looked like a glamorous, amazing <laughs> job. But I think they were less concerned that I'd get into a warfare situation and more concerned that I wouldn't end up with a job. Mm-hmm. So they... <laughs> discouraged journalism so I went into law and IT having always loved IT at school Mm. 
And then when it came to the, the pointy end of, well, do I want to go that sliding doors moment? Do I want to do law or do I want to continue with IT? I probably took a fairly short-term view because being an article clerk didn't look terribly <laughs> enticing after being a programmer. And the programmer salary was pretty good mm. and I was working with the decision makers in the firm and it was quite... It was a role where I felt like I was adding a lot of value and people respected that value. And I didn't necessarily feel that I would have the same experience as an article <laughs> Isn't it funny? Because in Queensland, they must have had articles until quite late. Yeah, the yeah. legal practice management course didn't come in till quite mm. well, a bit later. It, it started when I was doing articles, but I was saying to Loretta, I didn't... I didn't do it, and most of my friends didn't do it. I think it was very, not frowned upon, but it was sort of seen was, as a bit of a yeah, cop-out. It was a bit of a cop-out, mm. um, and it was a whole year where you got unpaid, and it was full-time for a whole year. Mm. So most people elected to do articles because even though it was two years, at least you were being paid something. Mm. <laughs> some, some small amount. Some very small amount. Whereas the people who went to QUT to do legal practice say, you know, it was another like another year of your yeah. degree. And, and then I think, potentially, I think you probably went into a law firm with the attitude of, well, you're kind of really going to have to do articles anyway. Yeah, yes. It wasn't very well respected, um, the legal practice course. So, I mean, a totally, obviously, totally yeah. different situation yeah. now. Mm. But, yeah, mm. that was... I don't know, I haven't spoken to many young people who've done the practical legal training in Queensland now, so it'd be interesting to find out what their experience yeah, is. Yeah, so the, the younger mm. lawyers that I've worked with who, who have done it mm. normally will also have a position within a mm. law firm and yes. it will just be yeah. a part-time position. See, whereas I did it in New South Wales in the 80s already and it was a full-time gig for six months mm. and I don't think I learnt much mm. so it I'd, but I think one of the benefits really is that um, it was probably much more difficult in the 80s to get articles with someone unless you knew somebody mm. and mm. so it was something that separated people if you know if you came from a poor socioeconomic background which I certainly did and I wouldn't have got articles anywhere so I think it it does have those, you know, it, it, you know what it was like. I, I think what it was like was that people would get articles at firms that their parents were at or mm. their uncles or aunts or, or mm. you know, friends, and it probably meant that it was quite difficult for people who didn't have those connections to get articles mm. even in the, um, you know, yeah. 20, 30 years ago. Mm. That I I wonder whether that was one of the reasons why they brought it in in mm. New South Wales and ended up bringing it in up yeah. here as well. I think a lot of it was if you had good articles, mm. they were great, oh, yeah. but a lot of people didn't get good articles because mm. clerks were, in some firms, just treated as filing clerks. So even though you mm. had a law degree... You photocopied it. <laughs> yeah, you spent photocopying or hanging around the courts trying to file things or going to the landholders' office and really learned almost nothing mm. but then you do hear about people who had wonderful mentors oh, as article I have, <laughs> yeah, I, I was article to David Grace yes oh, that so, been. Mm. and they took their articles very seriously and trained you mm. and um, gave you lots of experience across lots of different files and, and expected you to you know run things and yeah. And they probably would have had the experience with their master, whatever the yes. situation was, when, mm. when they were young yes. lawyers uh -huh. yeah. to emulate as well. Mm. So, 
Now, I got excellent articles, and a lot of my friends also got very good articles, but I also had friends who got very bad articles, who mm. really did nothing for two years. And then worse, at the end of the two years, were asked to leave. I mean, they graduated, and, but, you know, they hadn't learned much, and they weren't much use, so see you, get another article oh. club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of, the, one of the projects Susan and I worked on together at, at Cooper Grace Ward was the Research Clerk mm. um, project, and I think that's one way that... It, Firms can bridge that gap yes. between the practical experience mm. of mm. articles and the good things about that, yeah. and then the you know the, the good things about the legal practice mm. management course, but some of the gaps there. Yes. So within that program, sort of second to to last year, law students come on board, mm. and they're within a research pool to mm. begin with, so they hone their research skills, and then they in the second year of their clerkship they go on to. The, the various work groups. Is that still how it works? Yes, yeah, and I just think it's the most wonderful program because they they then are graduates and they've worked in the firm for two years. They know how a legal firm works. They know how the practice management system works, the document mm. management system works, and they can transition into the legal world without all those hiccups that you see people coming who've never worked in a law firm, who've only done a legal practice course, it's a real difficult transition mm. for them. Yes, although one of the things that I noticed, I'm not sure if it's still the same, is that uh, because it was fairly unusual at the time, I think mm. it was one of the first law firms to kind of offer that mm. in Queensland, and so it really was the creme de la creme of the law students who, mm. who got mm. those positions, mm. um, and then very often they would be spirited away <laughs> to some of the higher tier firms because they had all this wonderful experience. They were all, you know, seven students. Yes. Um, so but, it was balancing that as well. Yes, definitely. But the thing is, uh, I bet you that they have a really good opinion of Cooper Grace Ford oh, and yeah. that is really gold for that organisation mm. because they will know that the lawyer... You know, they'll have that experience, the positive experience, mm. if they go and even if they're in an adverse adversarial situation with a lawyer from Cooper Grace Ward, they'll be going, well, I know that the way that they practise, the way that their attitude is, their ethics mm. and whatever, I think it's it's a wonderful thing, even if they do leave. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah. Definitely. Because, you know, if you can speak positively of the place that you trained at, mm. it's a pretty good thing. Mm. Like you come back. Indeed. <laughs> They couldn't get rid of you, so (laughs) she came back. Now, um, Rabina, I'm going to go back, but why did you choose QUT as your university? Uh, It was at that time; it was the only university that was offering IT and law as a dual degree. I actually think it was one of the first years Mm. it was offered. Griffith might have been offering it Mm. before, but QUT was quite (laughs) central, and it just made sense. And why did you like IT so much? What? I liked IT from a very young age, and I'm going to tell you a story which maybe only fellow geek people will find funny, but um, when we first got a computer, and I was very young, and really the only fun thing on a computer in those days was was maybe paint. Mm -hmm. You didn't have much else, Mm -hmm. and so I would get (laughs) mum's cross-stitch patterns because paint was pixelised in those days, so you Mm -hmm. saw very large pixels, so I would get mum's cross-stitch patterns and then transfer the colours onto paint (laughs) to make pictures and I was also known to write batch files which would create conversations and talk back to me. (laughs) So So what, did you you join any of those chat rooms that were really... Oh, uh, in university I did. I I wandered mm. into a few that I, um, my little innocent uh, (laughs) Catholic girl... (laughs) 
was a little bit surprised about as well. So, yeah, back in the day when it was IRC, mm. internet relay chat rooms, yes. So. Or bulletin boards. <laughs> I remember, you should join this bulletin board. And I'm going, what's that? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's why, as a woman, that would have been quite unusual, though, to have such a love of IT. Yeah, so I, mm. went, to, I went to a Catholic girls' school. I went to Lewis Hill up mm. here in Brisbane, and um, they had an IT program, which extended slightly beyond just typing at the time, mm. which was good. Which was good. Um, there weren't a lot of women doing mm. that, that course, that's true. I had a couple who, who I'm still friends with and close with now, but it was, yeah, it was majority uh, a male environment which is interesting because at the beginning the inception of technology and computing mm. there actually were a lot more women involved because there were a lot of mathematicians that was sort of the mm. logical um, progression but then there's been a lot of studies done about the fact that because computers gaming was so heavily marketed towards teenage boys mm. particularly in you know the 80s and 90s when I grew up that that's why there was such a huge shift towards men being more prominent within the IT industry despite it being a fairly young industry that shouldn't have potentially been mm. so skewed. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I agree, you know, it was really pushed towards boys. Mm. I never had that much of an interest in computers when I was young. So what, I know that you've both of you have such a good opinion of Cooper Grace Ward. Why do you think they're such a good employer? I think they walk mm. the talk, which I think is probably the big difference yeah. because mm-hmm. you do – I mean, I've been fortunate to work in organisations, which I think all the firms have walked the talk, to be honest. Um, but you do hear of firms that say one thing on their website about yeah. their values, but you know what goes on inside that firm is actually very different to what's been on the website. And um, when I – just after I started, Janet Wilson came on – as our general manager, I think at the mm. time would have been her yeah. title, but she went on to be the CEO, I think. And she really did hold people to account. She very much said, right, if we're going to sit down as a group and develop these values, then we're all going mm. to know them. We're all going to be able to say them off the back of our hands. And we all give each other permission to call each other up when we're not mm. living those values. And that went from, you know, the, the person doing the photocopying to the managing partner, that standard was held across the board and she was mm. quite firm on that. And um, Chris Ward, who was the managing partner at the time, very much supported that and was part of that as well. Mm. So I think that commitment from the top to really adhere to those values and not, you know, it was never excuse of, oh, well, he or she grew up in a mm. different time. You know, we have to no. make excuses for that. That just didn't... Mm. that didn't fly so I think that's partially why it was such a good good experience mm. to work there yeah. um, and also mm. I think there was just a genuine empathy and people liked to be there <laughs> people were genuinely friends with one another yeah. you know I think I don't know if it was just the people that they employed they were really careful to ensure that everyone mm. was going to get on mm. but you know I, th- I think just toxicity was not tolerated yeah, and no, I imagine that's still the yeah, the case. very much the case. And I, I didn't appreciate it that because I did my articles there. Um, I just assumed all firms were like that. And then when I went to work in Sydney, um, the first firm I worked at, I worked for a lovely partner. I really enjoyed working there. But the partnership of the whole was was toxic. They used to have to get you know mediators to come in 
to, to, to mediate between the partners. And if you worked for a, a particular partner, you weren't allowed to talk to people who worked for other partners and, and they genuinely didn't like each other. And it was a revelation to me that there were all these people in business together that didn't actually mm. like each other and, and it was quite nasty. And yeah, and I sort of initially put it down to the fact that Cooper Grace Ward was so little when I, when I thought, oh, well, this firm's much bigger. But now Cooper Grace Ward is a big firm mm. and, and it's still got that same culture. So how big is it now? You know, there are 24 partners yeah. now. So. so yeah, it's getting up there. Yeah. It's mm. So that's interesting that you say it's was really part of the DNA of the mm-hmm. firm from mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. beginning from because the beginning. I think there is a bit of a sense in Brisbane that Cooper Grace Ward sort of had this cultural turnaround's the right word it was always but it's nice always it's just always it's always like a that. lovely place to work yeah in fact when when I started at Cooper Grace Ward the, there were three partners who were all men and there was a, a senior associate Andrew Wood who was a man and every other person who worked at the firm the office manager um all the associates, um, everyone in accounts, all the article clerks, everyone was a woman. And it was just the most fun place to work. And it was so female orientated uh, that they actually, the year after I started, they actually wouldn't interview any females for the article clerk roles because they went, we just have to get some boys into this. <laughs> we have to get some it's men like in. A, it's like a girls' club. But it, the whole culture of it was very collegiate, it was friendly, mm. it, was, it was just a fun place to work. And, uh, yeah, it, it was always like that. Yeah. And the partners really supported that. Um, they did get mm. a few more boys in, but, um, but it didn't change. It was always a lovely place to work. No, I always found the... The, all the men that worked at mm. Gracewood were always quite mm. very respectful mm. yeah which was quite interesting you know whereas I I mean growing up in the 90s and some of the jobs that I had not because I worked in community legal centres and legal aid that's always been very progressive in terms of male and female relationships and respectful relationships but I don't know if it was like that in all private firms so some of the stories that you heard from the 90s were <laughs> make your hair come <laughs> especially for for a catholic most people think catholic girls are pretty wild don't they? <laughs> oh, well <laughs> what happens at like... school stays at school <laughs> So you never practiced law because really it was all about the money, Rabina. <laughs> well, well, it was a little bit about status at that time as well. You were good at what you did. And I think yeah, I did like when it. When you like what you do and you're good at what you do, you know, the, the, there's no reason to change really. No, I actually do remember within the first few weeks of starting and just getting to code all day and I was like, I would do this even if they didn't pay me. I oh. can't believe they're paying me to do this. How, how old were you then when you got that uh, job? About 20. Yeah, so you were very young mm. Mm, to get that sort of a role. And then because soon after that, very quickly, you became the IT manager, yeah. didn't you? So, so how old were you then? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe around 20. Remember. Oh, 24 maybe? 20. Oh, I can't mm. remember. I can't quite so remember. So who was... Because Terry was there Terry as the IT there. manager. Oh, so yes. um, Terry, just an, an incredibly clever, clever, mm. clever guy. Yeah, so he went, so we put in a new practice management mm. system. 
And the people who made that practice management system, I think, realised Terry was a very, very clever guy. <laughs> and he then went on to work with them and that left the IT manager. Oh, really? <laughs> people always poach you. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's a bit of a merry-go-round, I yeah, think, right. in, in law. <laughs> and um, I was probably a little bit precocious to do so at the time, but I approached the manager who was in charge of IT and sort of said, well, if Terry's going, then I assume that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> And how big was the team then? <laughs> how big was the IT team then? So at the t- that time we would have had well, yeah, Gail. Alison. Yeah, Alison was there, winning wasn't. So mm. probably about five or six, mm. five people. Mm. Yeah. 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 Carmel, assistant administrator. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pr- probably yeah. around five. Which is which was still considered very large for the mm. sized yeah. firm it was. I remember whenever we talked to anyone about how large the IT team was mm. Mm. Yeah. well my memory is then that there was this shift towards IT and knowledge, knowledge coming together and, knowledge mm. coming together and then you moved to the role of knowledge, knowledge manager director. Yeah. and IT manager yes. yeah. so I was knowledge director I can't remember I think it was knowledge director at the time it doesn't really matter. Um, and then I think it was because that was the time when the research clerks came on so we yes. needed to shape yeah. that so and we, we formed that knowledge team which was yeah really library pre-IT all together and it was actually a really you know being in a team where you could appreciate what the IT people did and what Mm. projects they were working on and how it all worked together it was really good and did having the law degree help you then oh absolutely I would say my law degree has helped in every single Mm, role that I've had and I think for one thing you do have sort of an, you know, you go, you go in knowing what a precedent mm. is and, you, you, you know, you have a, a bit of that sense of how things work. But I don't think this is intellectual snobbery or anything like that, but lawyers will immediately have a deeper sense of respect and connection with someone who has a law degree. And I think that's just because, well, I studied law, you studied law, we must have something mm. in common. Mm. And I also think it takes away a little bit of the fear of talking to someone and trying to explain to someone where you feel there's this big gap Mm -hmm. so a lot of the feedback I've gotten throughout my career is that look you obviously understand the IT really well but I really appreciate that you understand where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. and you can Mm -hmm. explain these things to me so I think particularly when you start bridging teams like we did at Cooper Grace Mm -hmm. World with bringing the knowledge team and the IT team into a more centralized Mm -hmm. hub having that law degree really allowed me to come closer to the edge of that bridge than, than it would have if I hadn't mm. had that. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And it, look, it's true because since I've interviewed Sue, uh, I was speaking to some, you know, speaking to people who are non-lawyers and saying, you know, um, Sue's a precedent manager because, you know, I said I don't just interview people who practice law. And it is surprising how many people don't know what precedents are. I know. A template. <laughs> I spent my life telling. <laughs> it's really. It's but as lawyers, we tend to think that people would have an understanding of all these concepts, mm-hmm. and we're really surprised sometimes when people go, "Oh no!" So it it is true what you say because often when we're trying to explain ourselves and people are looking at us blankly, if somebody has a law degree on the other side, at least they have that understanding from, you know, what mm-hmm. we're coming from so I think it is useful really mm. useful mm. Yeah. Definitely. yeah definitely so why did you leave so a Cooper Grace Ward so I went through um, children's probably a very short <laughs> answer to that question 
<laughs> Such a hassle. <laughs> so we actually moved offices whilst I had uh, my youngest and moving offices at any time is generally a fairly stressful sort of thing. But being part of the team uh, that was being part of that and then not long after that when I actually came back we had the floods the mm. 2011. 2011 floods mm-hmm. and so I distinctly remember feeding my littlest at 4am and then going straight into work to deal with the DR position which you have to do as, a, as mm. the person in charge of IT that's that's your job yeah. um, and we were also doing a course at the time and Cooper Grace Ward was, was very generous with the courses that they did with their leadership team mm. uh, around emotional intelligence and also just doing some coaching and mm. understanding exactly where you wanted to be and what you wanted out of your life. And in doing that, I realised that potentially <laughs> feeding a baby at 4 a.m. and then having the responsibility to, to come in and um, deal with the with the DR situation probably wasn't what I wanted mm. at that particular period of my life. So I moved into a different role at Cooper Grace mm. Ward for a period of time before. Um, so my second child actually died by SIDS and um, I guess that's another thing Susan and I have in common in terms of you know shared tragedies understanding what that's mm-hmm. like to have a have a loved one um, ripped away and uh, Kipper Grace were very supportive during mm-hmm. that time absolutely um, Sue's so nodding it's, she it's was a, too it's again, you know it's again shows you what sort of an employer they are mm. when they take that sort of a role and take it very seriously about making sure that their staff are supported not just in the workplace but also understanding that we all have our lives mm. and that you mm. know yeah I mean I'm, I'm not we haven't really talked specifically about what your experience was mm. integrating back into work but for me um you know Janet literally kind of held my hand a couple of weeks beforehand and says right mm. we're going to get all the you know we're going to meet everyone because you're going to cry as soon as you meet anyone you're going to cry and she was right of course I did <laughs> and to, to, you know, the fact that mm. she had that insight and then she mm. did that and then, yeah. Uh, did you have a mm. similar... Oh, very much so. Mm. They were, it was this understanding that whatever I wanted to do was fine by then. Yeah. You know, I didn't, mm. There was no expectations that I, you know, had time off. If I wanted to work, that was fine. If I didn't want to work, that was fine. It was, we'll support you whatever you mm. want to do, which was just fantastic. And I actually found working was the one thing that sort of was you know, um, stabilising in my mm. life at that time. And I appreciated the fact that I could go to work and it was the one place where things weren't absolutely, you know, changed. Mm. So, yeah, my work was fundamental to you know, coping with grief. And, and mm. Yeah, and it's probably not something that's talked about a lot is an employer's role in helping mm. people with their grief, mm. particularly because I think you know grief both in our situations where it was completely unexpected Mm -hmm. and um potentially we tend to think about grief as something that happens to your older parent you know yeah you're getting an older parent or something like like that Mm -hmm. um so where it's that very sudden trauma employers do have a bit of a important role in supporting them and they were 
yeah, very supportive, I guess, in both yeah, our very supportive And we don't talk about death much no. in Australia. No, not at all. No. And then it, it comes no. as a little bit of a surprise, despite yeah. the fact that everything, <laughs> death and taxes are the only two certainties, it still comes as a surprise. Yeah, no, we, we tend to avoid I, I wonder whether, I mean, the European experience of always having, you know, your loved ones laid out in, you know, the homes and whatever, there was much, probably much greater conversation. I don't know if it's so much the case these days, but certainly my mother used to always say, I can't understand Australians because they just don't talk about death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the person that you loved, you still want to talk about them, Mm -hmm. even if they're no longer there, Mm -hmm. you know, so, yeah. But then, yeah. yeah, so that... Yes. So this was very. This was a very long answer to this question. <laughs> so then I had my third son, um, and it just—I think it was kind of the. Nat- it was natural for me, I think, to, to, to try something else mm. at that stage. You know, I had two little boys relying on me. I wanted to do something where I was potentially a little more in control mm. of my hours. It, I think it was time for someone else to come in at Cooper Grace Ward and to have some new blood and some new ideas through that team um still of course keeping in contact with the people that I very much like (laughs) um and so at that point I then decided to just do a little bit of consulting and set up my own sort of gig for a little bit of time and I fell into the trap that I think every person does when they decide they're going to do that where you think that this is going to give you a lot more time and it does the exact opposite (laughs) where you have potentially a lot more control over the hours that you work but you do have this attitude of sort of feast and famine so you never want to say no to work because who knows next month I might have no work and so I probably took on a little more than I should have and then I ended up with less time to spend with the boys. <laughs> what did you have a very supportive partner? Oh yeah mm. yeah so um Which allows you to take more risk, doesn't it? I think Mm. so. And we've always been very respectful of each other's careers Mm. and having the stability of a partner Mm. who who does have a stable income coming through, obviously, does allow you to take, as you say, a few more risks Mm. than you would otherwise. So what were you doing consulting? Well, this was probably another error that I made. I made a lot of errors with this whole consulting. (laughs) Thank you. And I think I, I didn't define enough what I wanted mm. to do. So I have been lucky in my career that I've gotten to do a lot of different yeah. things that I've been able to wear a lot of different hats. And I'm actually pretty good at a variety of different <laughs> things. You're very good at lots of things. <laughs> You're so self-deprecating. <laughs> like all women. <laughs> if you are men, if you are male. <laughs> yes. um, but what I ended up doing was I did uh, a little bit of copywriting, I did a little bit of blog writing, mm. I did a little bit of support work for a Australian blog. And then, I, I, although I was working in areas, you know, social media areas mm. outside the law, it seemed to just get, it seems to just call me back, <laughs> the legal yeah. industry. So I ended up also doing secretariat work for STEP, which is the Society of Trust and Estates Practitioners. So, I've never heard of them. Oh, absolutely. If you're a trust and estates lawyer, if you were working in a private firm, you would know who's All right, yes. okay. Definitely get in contact with Step. Yes. <laughs> yes. We have a lot of Step practitioners at Cooper Grace Ward. Yes. yes. 
And so, so was, what do what does step two? So it's a society for yeah. trust and estates practitioners. Yeah. They have regular seminars mm. and webinars about the topic. They do they're quite collegiate, I think, mm, for, for very, lawyers. Yes, they do a lot yes. of knowledge sharing. Mm. Uh, they they probably aren't running it this year, unfortunately. You, but you they can have an become annual a accredited step yeah. person. So mm, yeah. they have a logo that you put on. A bit like being a QLS accredited specialist, yeah. but just for estate people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite... Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about estates yes. being the secretariat mm-hmm. there. And uh, through that experience, I met Anne, um, and then I went on to be the practice manager for a period of time for estate first lawyers. How long were you there for? I was at estate first for a little over a year, mm. and then I was asked to apply for the job of IT and innovation manager at Clark Can. So it was it was actually quite a difficult decision because I, I really mm. enjoyed being part of the the um, the team at Estate First and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful small yeah. family boutique firm. I mean they're mm. excellent at what they do mm. and they're quite large for a firm that just deals with trusted yeah. estates. They're about fourteen lawyers or so, or oh, not fourteen people all up I think. Mm. Um, and it was just a very beautiful family-oriented culture Mm-mm. there which I, I really enjoyed um, but the lure of a technology role again sort mm. of brought me back to, to Clark Kent and being able to work I guess in a, in a larger firm once again and the, mm-hmm. the experiences of that. Well how is that different like how's that different small to large I mean it is it seems to me that small firm can be very family orientated collegiate but yeah tell me. So I think mm. the biggest difference is, so within a smaller firm mm. when you're a practice manager, you are literally the marketing manager, the IT manager, <laughs> the HR <laughs> manager. I wasn't the finance manager because they had someone mm. doing the accounting and um, they, were, and mm. they had people within the team who were really, really interested in it. But you do end up wearing a lot of different hats, which is where an organisation like Altma is very helpful because mm. then you can talk to other people who are also wearing all these hats. But what it means is that you probably don't have the opportunity to learn as much from as broad a group of people who are also in that corporate services yeah. area. So I missed that a little bit. And Clark Kent had some big projects coming up as well, mm. including an office move. I quite like office moves. Um, so I was keen to be involved in that so as well. You, so you did a bit of HR. What was that like? Uh, so... I quite like people, so uh, so when I talk about HR, I don't want to say that I'm a HR professional because I'm, no. I'm not. It wasn't a case of um, de- really dealing with any problems or anything like that. But I did a little bit of interviewing mm-hmm. and just making sure that people had opportunities where they were heard. Mm-hmm. So making sure that people did have regular catch-ups with someone mm-hmm. outside of the office to talk about where they were at, whether or not they were feeling that they need, had all the support they mm. needed. Um, so the more that side of HR, I guess, just making sure that people were heard and had a space yeah. to be heard. So you, um, so that's interesting. You thought that it was really important that you met people outside of the office in that role when you were giving that sort of mentoring and rather than in the office. Yeah, so I've, I've talked mm. actually a little bit with, with Anne, who is um, the person who leads Estate mm. First Lawyers, about this. And I think there is a lot of value in taking someone out, buying them a coffee, mm. not asking for the receipt to claim on that coffee. This might be controversial. <laughs> mm. 
but just saying, I'm going to give you, right, I'm going to buy you a coffee mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you my time. We both know yeah. that I'm busy, but I'm going to give you this half an hour or this, mm. you know, 20 minutes or whatever it is. And this belongs to you and you are important enough to me that I'm going to give you this time. And that was something that I think I really did learn from, from Janet mm. because we all know how busy she was every yeah, moment right. of the day but if you were in her company and her presence you felt like you were the most important thing mm-hmm. in that moment to her and she had put aside that time mm-hmm. to just reserve that space for you and that does empower people I think people really respect that and feel valued when they're mm-hmm. given that mm-hmm. yeah oh, you know that's I, I think it's a wonderful thing and it's also you know it shows you again the the, the good things about those early good experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, you, feed onto, you feed those into your other areas of life and for later on, it's, it, you're so lucky to actually have ended up where you did for your first job. Oh, really. absolutely. Yes, mm. absolutely. <laughs> and you don't, you don't realise it at the time. You just have this sense of, oh, yes, I'm sure everyone has this experience. <laughs> oh, yes. and, and then you realise that no one else <laughs> Um, so you went to Clark Can, is Clark Can, yeah, Clark Can, and they were involved in a demerge. What is a demerge? Okay, well, this was a very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. So Clark Can at that time had two offices, one in mm-hmm. Brisbane and one in Sydney. So they merged a few years before I started there. Uh, there was they, the two officers came to an agreement that they were probably wanting to go in slightly different directions mm. and it would make sense for them to no longer both be Clark Camp. Um, then around the same time, Spark Helmore was interested in mm. we say, merging with Clark Camp Brisbane. So it was a very interesting situation where you had a demerge and a merge happening fairly simultaneously. Did that happen soon after you started? Uh, it wasn't, no, yeah, it was pretty soon. <laughs> so it wasn't something I was necessarily yeah. expecting, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was a huge learning experience. Because mm. I was going to say, when I heard you, when you sent me those notes and you talked about that, and I thought, you must have been a slightly disappointed <laughs> because, you know, you just moved. And um, then to have, you know, to actually participate in something where your job would be going. Mm. So how do you actually, one, how was it dealing with the disappointment? And two, how is it, you know, keep it, how can you keep your enthusiasm up for something where you know you're really doing yourself out of a job? Um, I think I, I have a natural very hard work ethic so I think that might have seen me through a little bit I think mm. it's a little bit well there's a job it needs to be done mm. they're still paying me for that yeah. job to be done mm. therefore mm. I will do it um as I said before I have a very supportive partner he has a, a very secure job mm. so I didn't have that extra stress yeah. of oh my goodness if I don't find a replacement role for this ASAP I'm, I'm not going to be able to make the mortgage mm-hmm. and I think that is a very different situation mm-hmm. for someone who is dealing with that kind of financial stress at the same time mm-hmm. so I didn't have to deal with that the only thing I had to deal with was but I'm pretty good at what I do why, why wouldn't you want to <laughs> keep me honestly <laughs> so and I don't. I absolutely understand it was nothing personal, um, but I think no matter whenever you come through an unexpected job loss, you you mm. do deal with that sense of 
hang on. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, it's, it's a very natural mm. thing. And I think one of the things I learned through that experience is there's, there's not a lot to be gained by putting a lot of your self-value into your actual job. Put your self-value into the things you can achieve and your skills and what you know you're good mm. at and the things that you enjoy. I think that's a good place to find self-value. But if you invest all your self-value in your job itself, that's not necessarily something you can control. Mm. Yeah, well, you, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good. That's really good advice, really. Mm. You know, I wish I could take it on board. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, so you went from. Uh, Clark Can to Velada. Yes. How did, what's Velada? How did it happen? <laughs> so, yeah. so um, as in most things in law, we go full circle. <laughs> so uh, Jason Mills and Steve Pickering are the founders of Velada in mm. Australia and they also have a Singapore office. So Jason Mills came in to the IT manager position when I went on maternity leave at and Cooper Grace, at Cooper Grace Ward mm. and Steve Pickering was the finance manager there for a period of time when I was also mm. there as the IT manager. So we've always been mates and have you know yeah. always had a lot of time for each other. They're both fabulous guys. They set up Velada quite a few years back now. Yeah. And so Velada is a technolo- legal technology firm. Mm. We assist people with their uh, document management installations and their practice management installations, in mm. particular in the cloud computing space. And they were finding that people were really uh, wanting to expand on their reporting into business intelligence mm. rather than just reporting. So when I talk about business intelligence, I'm talking about a higher level view of financials and metrics that is normally represented in quite a nice visual way. So mm. something that allows you to interact with the data and, and understand it that isn't just a, you know, five five pages of tables that no one's mm. really interested in. Yes. Or, or so, find hard to understand. Yeah. Particularly for boards, is it then directed Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So those those sort of one pages where you can see yeah. using bar graphs, you know, different Word. types of yeah. interactions, using something that's quite visual that people can just see, understand yeah. what it is. Um, so they were finding a real need for that. And I had done some work in reporting mm-hmm. and, and actually in all my roles. And so they asked whether I'd be interested in coming on board. And I said, that sounds like fun. And it has been fun. <laughs> How long have you been there? Uh, so I started September last year. Okay. Yeah, part-time while I was also doing the... <laughs> The merge, demerge. Oh, um, oh, really? So you were still merging, demerging whilst yeah, you start, then, yeah. and have it looking after your children. Yeah. Because how old are your children now? Oh, they're a little bit older. They're a little more self. <laughs> <laughs> they can kind of look after themselves a bit more. So I have a um, six-year-old who's very nearly seven and an 11-year-old. Uh, very important. Six-year-old nearly seven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's very important to him. <laughs> it's a very important distinction. <laughs> So what do you think law firms are getting right in terms of their IT and where are they behind? Like if you're looking at a big picture. I think, I don't think we've come along as quickly as I thought we would, to be honest. Mm. Uh, you know, we talked about the fact that Gibb Grace Woodlaw had a programmer mm. on board 20 years ago and we were doing some pretty cool mm. things that not all law firms are still doing Mm. so it has been a very long journey i think 
with IT. But what I'm seeing with the legal tech startups is increasingly they are now headed by people who were lawyers. Mm. Mm. And I think this is where we'll see the change. So tools like Joseph, Mm -hmm. you know, the guy that makes that, uh, he was a lawyer. So it's a document automation Mm. tool but it accompanies with a chatbot as well. Yeah. So you can use that internally to mm. ask people, you know, so that you can just ask natural language questions mm. and then people can go and create their precedents or their merge mm. packs from that. And you could also potentially use it for clients as well and mm. have that sitting on mm. there mm. on your this, website. Yeah, I use a really good program that was developed in the UK by lawyers who also knew a bit of IT called Contract Companion. It's had like oh, yeah. 10 different names, very confusing the name changes but it's now Lexus has it incorporated in its packages what so it's well and it's basically a document checking software where you can sounds very boring to non-lawyers but it will run over it tell you where your defined terms whether you've used all your defined terms or whether they they're properly capitalized checks all your cross-referencing and it's it's you know document polishing and it's just fabulous and you can see it's been developed by lawyers mm-hmm. because they know exactly what it's important to get, you know, that document right. And um, yeah, um, we found it when I was at Cooper Grace Ward and I thought, oh, it can't be that good. And then I went, this is fantastic. Because, yeah, mm. the, the lawyers who wrote mm. it understood what lawyers need yeah. when they're trying to, you know, finalise a document and get it right. And it just works beautifully. Yeah. yeah, so I think that was probably what needed to happen yes. for there to be that next mm. jump in the way yeah. that lawyers use technology. I think lawyers had to be a lot more involved in the yes. actual development of the products, which is what we're seeing now. Yeah. So even myself with a law degree and some understanding of it, I've never actually practised law. Mm. And I think having that practice practising law background is what people need to then be able to create these products so Mm -hmm. we are seeing i think a bit of a a merging between the people who were in charge of the technology at law firms and now lawyers who are increasingly interested in technology and how it can assist them Mm -hmm. and as those two groups become closer together i think we'll see a bigger uptake Mm -hmm. i also think you know the situation we're finding ourselves at the moment where a lot of people are working from home and they are Mm -hmm. experiencing technology in different ways and it has been forced upon them because I think technology has always taken a bit of a gently gently approach with lawyers Lawyers. for no other reason there's no really hasn't been any other route Mm. so it's sort of been look if you want to use it it's here if you don't want to use it that's Mm -hmm. fine but because people have been really forced Forced to use it it, um, I think potentially those who may have thought technology isn't really for me I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just use the bare minimum like doing now. it the way I've always done exactly. it exactly um, oh, and now potentially more open yeah. still find some of those around oh, very much <laughs> lots of those around yeah. but I think it's just a confidence thing and I, I think it's just about training and making sure that lawyers get buy-in on those sorts mm. of products yeah and, and I, I think make their life easier because a lot of times what I find is that a lot of technology has just made my life more miserable because mm. it's just added to the administrative mm. burden. And particularly working in the uh, community sector um, it, where you have no support, like you have very little administrative support, all of these things can add more and more of an administrative mm. burden and then you become you can become more resistant to it because you're thinking, is this going to be something else that's going to add to the time that 
you know, that I need to spend on these things. Yeah, and mm. I've always had the approach that a, a solution in search of a problem is a problem. Mm. There's no point implementing something that doesn't actually solve a true yeah. problem that that person is experiencing. And the beauty of having lawyers start to develop these things mm. is that they really do understand what those problems are. Mm. And I do think the technical community is also becoming more interested in really understanding what those legal problems are as well. And we see that when they're starting to use design thinking mm. and things like that uh, a little bit more, that they understand that lawyers have to be part of this process, mm. otherwise it's never going to work. And you do find that, you know, I, I definitely found that pushback when products were demonstrated to lawyers and lawyers had a sense of, well, you, you're not a lawyer, you don't mm. really understand what my problems are, that's that's great, that's, I'm sure that's great for someone, it's not great for me, mm. because they haven't like, actually been invested in oh, the problem. And <laughs> also, I think, invested, sometimes yes. that's been quite legitimate, like I've often found when, you know, people are developing uh you know, products and things like that. They don't think about the legal implications mm. of the products that they're developing or particularly the privacy implications. So it is really important. That's why it's such a good thing that you've got that law background because when you look at product development, you're going, well, you can see it in the eyes of how a lawyer might mm. approach that or think about those sorts of issues. Privacy is a big one, mm. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah Whereas, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, because I really love networking and I'm so hopeless at it, <laughs> I just always ask for tips. So how has networking helped you with your career and what is your tip as to what makes a good networker? Well, networking has probably built my career, to be quite yes. honest. <laughs> in, in, you know, as we've been talking, you've probably understood that most mm -hmm. of my roles have come through me knowing yeah. someone, in fact. Yeah. Thinking about it now, all of my roles have come through me knowing someone. I'm, I'm absolutely, yeah, I still went through the interview process mm. and I'm, I'm sure that was all on merit, but it does help. Obviously, if you've made those connections with people, it absolutely helps. So I don't believe in this sort of, you go to a speed networking and you all you exchange your cards as quickly as possible, your LinkedIn details these days. I don't think that does any good for anybody. Mm. I think you need to seek out those people that you genuinely have a connection with and then think about, okay, how can I help you? What value mm. can I add to you? Make sure that you keep those connections nurtured and going make sure that you mm -hmm. touch base every now and then um if i think if you've got a good relationship with a person it actually doesn't matter if you haven't spoken to them for a year <laughs> you can always pick it back up Absolutely. again yes. yeah and i think the other thing is law particularly in brisbane is a teeny tiny place mm. so mm. it's best never to say anything negative about <laughs> anybody would be uh i think it's true I, I mean look at it because I don't come from Brisbane, I would say that. But I, I'd say in any area that you're working in, it's quite niche. You know, yeah. I work in consumer law, so yes, it's national, but the people that are in that area are quite niche. So I think you're right, you know, if and you never know who could help you along the way. No. It could be someone who's quite junior to you now, mm. but they could be the ones giving you the job in five years' time and... 
it really depends on how well you treated them when they were junior, mm. I think. So, yeah, yeah. and I think to do so in a really, mm. you know, authentic way, I think people can tell when, you know, people are, are faking it. But to, to just be interested in other people mm. and what, mm. you know, they're interested in and show genuine curiosity. Mm. Curiosity is a big thing, you know, mm. to show that curiosity. Coop Grace Wood's latest value, they added an oh. extra value oh, a year or so ago curiosity you know our friend Fiona who uh, helped me interview Susan someone that I know said what she liked about her was that she had the most amazing sense of curiosity oh Fiona yes Yes. definitely (laughs) and so you ask you know and that's a lovely thing to have you know Mm. and it's curiosity about people it's curiosity about the law it's curiosity about situations Mm. so um, what do you think about the future of law and IT and are there any exciting developments that you think are in there? Well, I hesitate to say because there's been exciting developments for the 20 years that I've been there. And not a lot of those predictions have necessarily come to bear. I think um, there have been a few books written about the fact that, you know, it was going to be the end of lawyers and I don't think we've, we've come anywhere near that. So I think what we will see is... I do think artificial intelligence will eventually come to a point where mm. it will really be helpful. Mm. And so where I think that might be like an example mm. of that is say you're starting to, to write a precedent and it will come up and it'll say, okay, I've noticed a few keywords. There's this bank of precedents that are, that have these words mm. and maybe you want to consider this. So it's sort of like that virtual mm. assistant that sits beside you and helps you through your day. I can see mm. that kind of thing happening. I do not think that we will ever see technology replace the role of lawyers. I just think that it will potentially act in a more valuable assistant and potentially be more of an enabler mm. and people will hopefully see it as an enabler rather than a source of frustration. Why do you think that? I, I have some views. I have some theories about why I don't think lawyers will be replaced, but why do you think that There's always... Are? Lawyers solve mm. problems for people. Mm. For the individual. Yeah. Mm. So um, there's always that person-to-person yeah. contact, and mm. it will take a very long time before a artificial intelligence gets there in a technical perspective. It will take mm. even longer before anyone would trust a robot in the same way that they would trust a person. I think you've got to remember with legal problems is people come to lawyers when they're anxious and Mm. they're stressed and Mm -hmm. they have problems that are really, you know, having a major effect on their life, Um, whether it's litigation or a family law issue or something like that, they want a person that they can trust. Mm. And I, I, I can't see that happening with a with a robot or you know they they want absolute faith in what this person is telling them is going to help them and solve their problems and uh, yeah there's some some legal problems that can be automated and you know it might be able to be Mm. done but generally people want that human contact when they're stressed Mm. or you know going they want some acknowledgement and they want that empathy Mm. and I, don't, I think we really undervalue that role as legal practitioners or someone who's done a law degree that that's actually one of our skills that we have and mm. it's an unrecognised skill. Mm. And, you know, people, well, my experience is that people will come to lawyers and they may never have disclosed the issues that they've got, not to their doctor, not to their psychologist, 
and you're going whoa and I don't, I don't think IT can replace that no like not for a long time mm. no no mm. not and we would probably see a lot more other cultural change to have mm. to support yes. that move yeah. I think so I think we'll, what we will see is we will see increasingly helpful mm. tools yeah. which become more human in inverted commas and that makes them more accessible to lawyers. Mm. But I don't think lawyers should be worried that they're going to be replaced in any way. And to be honest, a lot of the tools that could automate processes, I mean, they're there already. Mm. If law firms have chosen not to implement them, then that's a decision that they've Mm. made. But to pretend that we're not there already is Mm. a bit of a fallacy. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, you do a lot of other interesting stuff outside of your degree. Out <laughs> <Yes. laughs> of your work, daily work. So, are you still blogging? I'm not blogging as much as I mm. used to. Um, I've actually started sewing a lot. I'm part of that group of people that have started beefing up their wardrobes during COVID, so now we have all these pretty clothes and nowhere to wear them. <laughs> I love to sew too. Oh. Oh, we'll talk about it after. <laughs> um, so, there's two final questions, really. What do you think the best... All right, well, one, because I really want to talk to, about young people. So, if a young person really wanted to... Uh, what advice would you have to a young person who really wanted to combine an IT background with a law background in terms of anything that you think worked really well for you in following the career that you've had and you've had a wonderful career already and you're still very young so I would say definitely keep an open mind mm. if I had my time again I, I may have chosen to practice I guess I could still do that I may have chosen to practice law just to get mm. that real sense of what what that is mm. and how that works because I do think that would help with an yeah. with an IT degree, and I've, you know I've gone down the path of IT services with law, mm. but there are lots of people who've done an IT law degree who then have practiced, but in IT specific mm. areas, so maybe in patent law or yeah. um, different types of technology law. So I would say keep an open mind. Don't get too distressed when your law degree is a lot more difficult than your IT degree. <laughs> <laughs> the other way actually no I guess IT is probably a little bit like math in that you know when you've got the right answer answer. whereas in law the amount of exams I went out of thinking oh I did terribly and then I did well or I aced that and I did terribly (laughs) very subjective subjective. Mm -hmm. Um, however the critical thinking skills that you learn in law are applicable to any career I -hmm. think so for someone who's doing IT law, A, I think that's a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think it is a matter of just keeping your mind open mm. to the possibilities that are around. And there are lots of opportunities. If you look at meetups, if you have a look at LinkedIn mm. groups, just try and find that real world experience as soon as you can, because it will open doors. And whilst the education we get at our Australian universities is absolutely fabulous, it always takes a little bit of time to be able to understand how that's applicable mm-hmm. within a firm or an organisation. So any chance that you have to access those opportunities before you finish your degree, I would take with both hands. Beautiful answer. And final question is where to 
now for Rubina May? Oh, well, I'm, I'm really enjoying the role that I'm in at the moment. I think there is a lot of scope for firms to improve on their mm. reporting. Um, there's a saying that you can't manage what you can't measure. Mm. I think increasingly firms are going to have to be very careful about uh, how they spend their money and where they invest. And I also think in terms of tracking how people are going, mm. not just in terms of their, their hours billed and things like that, mm. but the other contributions that they're making to the, the firm. And the reporting that I'm doing at the moment gives firms an opportunity to be able to, to measure that and be able to understand it really, really easily. Mm. So I think it's just another example of what I've continued to do in my, my career, which mm. is try and just gap bridge those gaps between the technology and the law and um, bringing more complex financial information into an easy to understand one page. I can look at that and understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just another example of that. So yeah, I think I'll, I'll keep with this for a bit. There's lots of growth opportunities <laughs> and it is genuinely a great place well, to work. Maybe, maybe you can come back some sometime <laughs> in the future and do another one. <laughs> You'll have had another yeah. 10, 10 <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully not. <laughs> thank you so much, Rabina, and thank you, Sue, for helping me with interview Rabina. It's been delightful. So, if you want to con- uh, connect with Rabina, um, just check out the show notes. Drop me a line, especially if you know of any other law graduates that you would like me to interview. Thank you so much. I'm not going to call you ladies, women. Thank you. (laughs) And until next time, we'll now have our glass of wine or a couple of glasses of wine. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Lunching with Lawyers. If you enjoyed this episode or have questions or comments for our guests, head to the show notes for this episode and click on the contact links below. If you have suggestions, ideas or questions or would even like to be part of this series, head to the Contact Us page on our website, www.loretacrete.com.